1: Moments ago, White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer acknowledged that the president believes three to five million votes were illegally cast in November.
2: I don't think I've ever met him. I never met him. I don't think I've ever met him. You would him. know it if you did. I wouldn't think you? so. Yeah, I think so. The field was it looked like a million, million and a half people.
1: Hello and welcome to Trumpcast, the show about the man who says there are no tapes of his people colluding with Russia to steal the election. Donald Trump. I'm Jacob Weisberg. The writer Mary McCarthy famously said about Lillian Hellman that every word she writes is a lie, including and and the. She said that in 1979 on the Dick Cavett Show. And it was an exaggeration, of course. But it's closer to the mark as a description of Donald Trump. With Trump... The challenge isn't to find false statements that he's made, but to find ones that are verifiably true. He's lost the benefit of the doubt we extend to nearly everyone. There's simply no basis anymore for assuming that words that come out of his mouth are true. And the frequency of Trump's lying points to an interesting issue. What kind of liar is he? A congenital liar? A pathological liar? A compulsive liar? All those designations suggest that lying is something he might do almost involuntarily, an ingrained habit or a disease like alcoholism. But Trump could also be a strategic liar who thinks that lying works as a political strategy. He could be a calculating liar focused on specific deceptions, or perhaps he's just trying to blur the distinction between truth and falsehood in general. And is he even conscious of the lies that he's telling? To begin to answer those questions, perhaps we should start by looking closely at Trump's many lies themselves. I'll be back in a moment with New York Times columnist David Leonhardt, who's keeping a master list of them, right after we do the
2: tweets. with all of the recently reported electronic surveillance intercepts, unmasking and illegal leaking of information. I have no idea whether there are tapes or recordings of my conversations with James Comey, but I did not make and do not have any such recordings. Obama administration officials said they choked when it came to acting on Russian meddling of the election. They didn't want to hurt Hillary. Hillary Clinton colluded with the Democratic Party in order to beat crazy Bernie Sanders. Is she allowed to so collude? Unfair to Bernie just out. The Obama administration knew far in advance of the November 8th about election meddling by Russia. Did nothing about it. Why? I'm on Fox and Friends. Enjoy.
1: I'd like to welcome to the program today David Leonhardt. He's a New York Times columnist, uh, alumni of the Upshot section of the New York Times, and the author of a piece that ran on Friday called Trump's Lies, which was a compendium of the lies and falsehoods, which we'll talk about the distinction that Trump has told since taking office. David, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you, Jacob. It's good to be here.
1: So this seems like uh, quite an extraordinary thing for the New York Times to do. I mean, I was I still get the print paper as well as reading online, and it was there was this page that was a kind of one of those clip-and-save things because it was so extraordinary looking. You got all of these lies onto one page with very small type and then had all these graphic representations
0: of when they were and where they occurred, but why do this? Well, I, I think what we said in the piece, and I did it with my colleague Stuart Thompson, who's the graphics director of the opinion section, is that um, it, it's, feels like when you look at the totality of what Trump is doing is that he's essentially trying to deny reality or make reality irrelevant so that he as president um, and previously as a candidate gets to define what reality is. And that's exhausting, right? You, you, if he's out there constantly saying things that are not true, and as you said, we can get into the difference between lie and untruth. It's exhausting because it makes you wonder, well, wait a second, what do I believe from this president and what don't I? And we thought it was important to step back and try to give people as close to a full picture as we could of of all of the things that he has said that are not true, in part to remind people that they should put almost no weight um, uh, when he makes a, fact, a, a statement that he claims to be a factual statement. People should put almost no weight on it, because he has shown that he has virtually no regard for the truth.
1: So when you hear Trump say something, there should be no assumption that it's probably true because most things most people say are true most of the time. In his case, you should, it should be greeted with immediate skepticism. That's the takeaway.
0: Yes, I think we should read it with immediate skepticism. I mean, obviously, you know, he might say little things about what the color of walls are um, that, that you can assume are probably true. But I think we should read it with immediate skepticism. And And I would say that it's important also to be clear about the fact that we have never had a president like that before. So what if you had tried to make a list
1: like this for Obama or George W. Bush or, or Bill Clinton? I mean, how much do you have any sense of how much of a page you would have been able to fill up with their demonstrable? public falsehoods, lies, use whatever, whatever term you want.
0: I don't think you could come close to a page for any of those presidents, even though they served eight years. But I will. But I don't know. Um, And it was interesting, the response that we got on social media, which was voluminous, um, but the critical response that we got from Trump supporters was essentially that, which is, oh, okay, there you go, New York Times. Why don't you do this for um, Clinton and Obama and Bush? Um, and it actually made me – it would take a lot of time, but it made me want to go back and try to do it for Clinton, Obama, and George Bush, because maybe there are – 16 for George W. Bush. I, I don't know. Maybe there are only three, um, or maybe there are 50. But, um, and the same for Obama and Clinton. I guess I'd kind of like to know. I have little doubt that the scale is completely different. But I do have some uncertainty about what the precise number would be for any of those recent presidents.
1: So why do you think it serves Trump to lie so much. I mean, I mer- I I took a course in high school, which I th- often think about, called Patterns in Animal Behavior. And you basically <clears> went <throat> to the zoo. There was a zoo near my high school, and you would watch like a a monkey or a or a bird or something in its cage. And what you realize is they just do the same things repetitively over some period of time. You know, they could go get some water. They go around in a circle. They do. This. And then the the thing that's so illuminating about that course is that you realize that people often do it. Too. They just have these patterns of behavior that are uh, unconscious, that are habitual. But generally, they, there's a reason for them. They serve their interests in some way. Why does it serve Trump's interests to lie in this just habitual way?
0: So I think you're making a really important point there, which is I do think it's habitual. Um, I'm 44 years old. I grew up in and around New York City. So Donald Trump has been famous, um, essentially for my entire conscious life to me. Um, in the rest of the country outside of New York, he really became famous during The Apprentice. But in New York, Donald Trump was already one of the biggest stars, as it were, throughout the entire 1980s. He was on newspaper tabloid covers all the time. Um, so he has lived essentially his entire life, or at least the last 40 years in the public eye. And um, he has told a lot of lies over that period. He's done it constantly, right? He's famously called up reporters and um, posed as one of his own press aides. Um, uh, and just the the, the the whole foundation of the conversation was a lie. He was posing as someone else. He's lied about the height of his buildings. He's lied about his business. He's lied and lied and lied. And now he's president of the United States. Um, and so it's worked out pretty well for him. So I think on some level, there may not be some grand strategy where he goes back um, to the White House residence, and and at night comes up with the lies he's going to tell tomorrow. I think on some level, it is habitual. It is instinctual. He basically says whatever he thinks would make him look the best. um, And he doesn't put a lot of weight on whether it is based in reality or not. And it's worked out for him. I do think there is some strategic aspect to it, right, which is um, he basically wants to be able to say whatever he wants. He wants to say, oh, we're going to pass a health care bill that's not going to hurt anyone. He wants to say Barack Obama did these bad things and none of It's my fault. He wants to constantly make himself look as good as possible, and um, he puts vastly more weight on that than he does on truth. Right. I mean, when you look at these
1: the sort of infographics you did about when he's lied, that there are gaps. The gaps are when he's not talking in public, right? So, I mean, it's literally (laughs) true that you know this expression people use. You know, he lies as he breathes does seem to be true for Trump. If he is talking, he's lying. There don't seem to be examples of him doing a lot of talking without a lot of lying. Yes, that's exactly right.
0: There was a, a nice piece in Vox by Matt Iglesias that, that used this old essay by Harry Frankfurt. Um, uh, I know we're on a podcast, but I'll still use it. On, on
1: bullshit. You can, oh, say, yeah, you can say yeah. bullshit on the show, even if you can't <laughs> say it in the family newspaper.
0: Excellent. Um, and I think I actually would encourage people to read um, either Frankfurt's essay or Iglesias' piece based on it, I, I think it makes a lot of important points, but I would, I guess, emphasize something different, which is, yes, so basically what Frank, what Iglesias argues using Frankfurt is that Trump's lies are really meant as signaling devices. Are you on my team or are you not on my team? And the outrageous lie forces people essentially to make it clear that they're on his team by repeating it uh, and by also putting themselves out there and, and risking their own reputation by telling a lie. I think there's something to that, but I don't think we should lose the substance of it. There are also substantive strategic reasons why Trump lies. He lies to make his policies sound better than they really are. He lies to make it sound as if he's helping um, the people who voted for him, when in fact he's pursuing policies that would hurt many of them. And so the lies aren't just accidental. Um, They're not just some coded language. The fact that he's saying things that aren't true does have a substantive benefit to him.
1: Maybe we should give a little example of what we're talking about. David, I've got your list printed out here. I'm just going to run my finger around with my eyes closed and put it down and start reading, just so we give a sense of what you define as a lie. Um, So here we go. February 18th. You look at what's happening in Germany. You look at what's happening last night in Sweden. Sweden, who would believe this? And then you have a little explanation afterwards. Trump implied there was a a terror attack in Sweden, but there wasn't. February 24th. This is the next one. By the way, you folks are in here. The place is packed. There are lines that go back six blocks. There's a rally. And you, you comment there was no evidence of long lines. February 24th. ICE came and endorsed me. In fact, only its union did. And then there are more for February 24th. They go on. So, you know, with, with each of these kinds of statements, there is a kind of definitional question because lie does, of course, imply conscious knowledge of, of telling an intentional falsehood. And there's a kind of uh, ontological question here about whether Trump knows any of these things are falsehood, whether he knows it has a meaningful distinction between truth and falsehood in his own mind. But what makes these lies and not, I think the other term you use is public falsehoods, how do you distinguish these different categories of untruth?
0: I should start by saying this, these are these journalistic differences that you know really well, but I, I'm not sure most listeners do or need to. But I'm on the opinion side now of The Times, yes. right? And so I'm not speaking for Which the is why pages. you can say all of this. That's right. The news pages have used the word lie yeah. about Trump, but they have, they have a, a, a somewhat different standard. I'll tell you what my standard is, which is – so I agree very much with the idea that lie and untruth are not synonyms. Um, And you just hit the distinction exactly, which is a lie is a knowing untruth. Um, And so that's part of why I actually do not. Uh, consider what George W. Bush said about weapons of mass destruction in Iraq to be a lie. He believed that at the time. Yeah. And not only did he believe it, but you could point to some evidence um, for why he believed it. It's actually pretty significant evidence. I would describe that, by the way,
1: as a collective delusion. And I do think there's a retrospective view that that was a conscious lie when in fact it was something closer to conventional wisdom in politics at the
0: time. That's right. I mean, huge numbers of people believe that. Um, I I I certainly did. uh, I certainly did as well. Uh, I would say that although the details around Obama saying if you like your health insurance, you can keep it are different. I would similarly say I do not consider that to be a lie, although it's interesting Anyone who reads my writing knows that I am more sympathetic to the policy um, preferences of Barack Obama than George W. Bush. I actually think if, if we were going to kind of do a spectrum, what Obama said is arguably worse than what Bush said. I'm not saying the consequences are worse, but I think Obama may have had more reason to question whether that was as true as he said. Well,
1: that's, that, that's just – I mean, just on that tangent, though, that sounded a little euphemistic. I mean, Barack Obama has got a keen understanding of, of policy. How did he not understand that when he said – at the time he said it, that that was not true, that if his bill passed? people would have limitations on their
0: choice of doctor
1: that's right how I um, mean so why wasn't that a lot um.
0: I do actually think, put it this way, if we were going to do this for each past president, I would, I would want to spend some real time and consider whether that was a lie of Obama's. One of the fact checkers named it lie of the year. Um, uh, I would want to go back and I would want to look at the evidence to see whether there was also substantive reason why he believed that to be the case. It was certainly the case when they were talking about this plan at the time. They said, look, we're going to do a plan that does not take people's health Insurance away from them. In fact, it was the whole political strategy. The reason the Clinton plan failed is because it was going to do that, and so they had a whole way in which they thought that was true. The question is, if we go back and look at it now, um, was it blatantly untrue at the time uh, or not? And I just don't remember enough of the details.
1: But I mean, it was you know the 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 classic political formulation uh, was worse than a lie. It was a blunder. I mean, that is a is call it what you will a, a falsehood, a lie it hurt Barack Obama it became one of the central attacks on his healthcare plan and if it was an intentional lie he must have learned from it that if you if you transgress the boundaries of the truth it's likely to blow up in your face trump right. trump has not learned that lesson he has somehow learned the opposite lesson that telling lots of lies is good is That's he right. is he do you think he's right about that in the sense that It is effective for him politically, or is this ultimately hurting him, most obviously by destroying any shred of credibility he has, in the same way that telling lies has hurt other politicians in the past?
0: I think in some ways it has helped him, but I remain a little bit optimistic that it will not help him in the long run. So if we come back to this difference, right, that that a lie is a knowing untruth, the reason why we are comfortable and we say this explicitly in the piece, calling all of these lies, is it would be the height of naivete to believe that these are all just accidents, right? When Bush or Obama said something that when we look back on it, we might consider a lie, you can see that they didn't repeat it. You can see that they tried to avoid doing something similar where they would say something that everyone would then say that is wrong. Trump doesn't do that at all. He repeats many of the lies that he's already been called out on, like voter fraud. Um, He uh, he comes up with new lies that are as just as outrageous or more outrageous. And in this highly polarized society that we live in, in which there is a significant portion of the population for whom if you, Jacob, or I, David, am saying something, they immediately believe that it should not be trusted because we're part of the mainstream media. And if Donald Trump is saying something, they immediately believe it should be trusted. In that political atmosphere, I do think he can be helped in the short term by making up his own facts. On the flip side, if you look at anything from his approval rating to the percentage of Americans who trust him, It has changed and it has not fallen as much as I might think it should, but it has fallen. And uh, he is very early in his presidency. He is the least popular first year president in recorded American history. And so, um, yes, it's worked to help get him elected president. Um, Yes, it's worked for him in some narrow ways, but I still am going to be hopeful that a pattern of constant lying is not a strategy that can work in the long term for a president of the United States. In a way, I'm not really, I, tell me if you disagree, but I'm not really sure what else we can do except patiently point out his lies and hope that eventually uh, they will not work for him. Well, I agree that I don't
1: know what else we can do. I guess the, uh, a question, though, is to what extent Trump reflects a change in the way people relate to objective reality and the more partisan nature of of identification with truth in an era of social media et etc et etc., versus how much is Trump just an outlier? so the question is when we in the in the world after Trump, which will occur at some point, do you go back to a normal amount of political lying or do you end up with with a a, a higher baseline because trump is is capitalizing on and reflecting trends in information technology and society
0: at large? I think that we should probably assume we go to a higher baseline, unfortunately. And I actually think a piece of evidence for that is the way the Republican Congress has handled the health care bill, which is Trump came along and took all of these norms and just busted them. Right? Releasing his tax returns, um, lying constantly, saying he was jail his opponent, just, you know, again and again and again and again, including making, trying to make reality irrelevant. And, then, and it turns out he didn't pay uh, much of a price for that. And so now you have the Republican Congress trying to jam through a bill that would rewrite the rules for somewhere between one-sixth and one-fifth of the U.S. economy, and not just that, but a part of the economy that affects um, people's health. And they are doing it um, in secret. They are doing it while denying uh, the truth that is coming out from conservative, moderate, and liberal health care experts from the Congressional Budget Office, from the advocacy group for every major um, medical group like doctors and every major disease. And I do think –
1: I mean, forget whether you think it's a good idea or a bad idea. They're saying it won't cut Medicaid. I mean, cutting Medicaid is the central thing it does. And it does seem that they've picked up on this – Trump strategy. That's right.
0: And so I do worry that, as you say, in the post-Trump world, he has shown people that there may be a smaller price for outright fiction than we once thought. But it's not the big lie.
1: It's the lots of little lies about everything all the time.
0: Isn't it both? Meaning it's the lots of little lies about everything all the time, but it's also the big lie that this bill would improve health care in America.
1: Well, I guess that's right. But, you know, I do think you get into a little bit into a subjective question there. It's possible that the that what you describe as the big lie is something a conservative person could believe or more, I guess, more broadly, they could believe that the country and society will be better off if we take this, this non-inter, non-interventionist approach. Um, you can't There is not a a credible defense of the position that it doesn't cut Medicaid. If I said Medicare Medicare before I meant Medicaid – You know, it's, you can't, that's not, that's, that's just a lie.
0: And I think it's sort of where the little lies meet the big lie, which is, look, there is a conservative version of healthcare, well to the right of Obamacare, uh, that I think is a plausible system that would work better than the current system we have. Um, Absolutely. This bill they're passing is in no way that plausible conservative system. Um, And so this, it's sort of the intersection between the little lies and the big lie.
1: Your list runs right up to uh, uh, June 21st, and here are the last two. They say... Say it's non-binding. Like hell, it's non-binding. He was talking about the Paris Climate Agreement, which is, in fact, non-binding. Uh, and then he said, right now, we're one of the highest tax nations in the world. We're not. How about since then? Are you still tracking these? Has he told any lies since June 21st? And are you going to keep track of them?
0: We are going to keep track of them. Um, I don't yet know exactly what our plan is for updating it, but we have a few different thoughts. And if your listeners have ideas, I'd welcome email. My email is leonhart at nytimes.com. The ideas we've considered are, one, updating it, two, adding links for verification for people who think we just made up uh, the truth on this. And then, as I mentioned, the hardest thing, um, but it's one that does intrigue me, would be going back and seeing Seeing what lists like this would look like for the last couple presidents—Obama, Bush, and Clinton—well,
1: I commend you for keeping track of these, and I think it's very important. It's funny, the um, you know you're you're talking to the compiler of Bushisms here, and I you know so I tracked Bush's utterances for eight years, uh, more for sport. And they, of course, we were not looking at, for lies; we were looking for things that were malapropisms and hilarious accidents. And I got to say, the problem when you do this for Trump. There's nothing funny about it.
0: No, that's right. There's nothing funny about it. Uh, it, is, uh, it has some methodological similarities to Bushisms, but in terms of how it makes you feel about the state of our democracy, um, it is a very different exercise.
1: I've been speaking to David Landhart. He's a columnist at The New York Times. David, thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Jacob. That's it for today's show, which was produced by Verilyn Williams sitting in for Jason DeLeon. Thank you, Verilin. John Domenico is our voice of Donald Trump. We gave him a lot of tweets today. And hey, I have a recommendation. It's another show that Verilyn produces, Represent, hosted by Slate's culture writer, Aisha Harris. It looks at movies and TV from the perspective of women, people of color, and the LGBTQ community. It's a terrific program. You should check it out. I'm Jacob Weisberg. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast.